Hello and welcome back to Hoops Royalty, a Memphis Grizzlies podcast. I'm King Jemison alongside, as always, Karna Venkatraj. And we are here, as always, to share the most royal Grizzlies and NBA takes in all the realm. Karna, we are now undeniably the two biggest Grizzlies fans and best Grizzlies analysts in the American Midwest. And actually, if we have Midwest listeners to Hoops Royalty, please hit us up and tell us why you think you are actually the biggest fan or best analyst. We appreciate you listening. But as of now, we are it. We are him as it relates to Grizzlies fans and analysts in the greater American Midwest. Are you ready for that type of responsibility? Absolutely. I'm always, you know, repping the 901 and um, always excited to to rep the Grizzlies. I think, you know, they're they're a up and coming franchise and, you know, excited to be at, not quite at the ground level, not quite at the ground level, but like the fourth floor. Right. Like the fourth floor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. You're, you're still in early and yeah. we are still we're trying to keep the excitement down because we have yeah. over a month until the Grizzlies tip off their season on October 25th but this is when that excitement really starts to build we got season previews rolling out here in the next few weeks we got a lot of good content coming but I know it's been a while for us it was a busy season with Karna's day job with uh, my move here to Chicago but it was a good time to take some time off because uh, this was the doldrums of the NBA season or the NBA offseason excuse me and we waited long enough that now the content has caught up with us. There is plenty to talk about, particularly with Jaron Jackson Jr.'s performance at FIBA in a disappointing fourth place finish for the USA. And John Moran's content team starting to get that ball rolling, starting to put out some more videos, Twitter content, etc., indicating that he's ready to return a new person We'll discuss whether or not we're buying it. But before we get to the show, Karna, I just have to ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how back is Texas? If you asked me last week, it's a 10 out of 10. This week, I'm a 7 out of 10. Some concerning stuff, but you know the Big 12 was weak this year, and I think we'll we'll have a good, at least a good showing in the Big 12 championship game, I think. Um, I won't say anymore. I really won't say anymore. If it's going on the internet... You know, I'm I'm a little too excited. We were talking a little bit off camera. Uh, the analogy for Texas is that, you know, it's that kid who walks into class every day and usually doesn't do the right thing, but now is doing the right thing. So as a teacher, you're just like, everyone shut up. Don't talk to this kid. Just let him do whatever he needs to do to make sure he's doing the right thing. That's how Texas has been traditionally. So excited to see them doing the right thing. Seven out of 10. Okay. Offline, Karna called 12-0. and 0. No. He said no, Nick Saban we'll, washed. He well, said Oklahoma is a joke of a program. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. no, did not say that. But honestly, Karna, I'm very happy for you and, and the rest of the Texas fans. As the uh, as fan of the other UT, Tennessee, um, you need to represent the color orange and the letter T this yeah. year because it's not going to be the balls. Yeah, um, it's tough year for y'all. But that's the college football talk for the day. Let's now get into our royal decrees if you're just finding us for the first time our royal decrees are hot takes from the grizzlies or the wider nba universe and to get those started let's hear the gavel of justice 
Karna, it's time. What is your royal decree for this week? I wrote, I think, five words in my royal decree. See what we have strategy. Now, this is kind of a, you know, the, for context, during this time of year in the baseball season, you will see a lot of teams bring up prospects because they want to see what they have at the big league level, right? That is how you get an assessment of how players are developing. That is how you get an assessment of how the future of your franchise is currently positioned. Now, the Grizzlies are in a similar position where they have a lot of really, really talented young players. Zaire Williams, David Roddy, um, you know, just a bunch of really, really good players, but that kind of cannibalize each other. That kind of serve the same purposes and same roles. Within this first 25 games part of the season without John Morant, I would like for the front office of the Grizzlies to take a really, really hard assessment of some of these fringe players and then make some actual decisions. I don't want to see Zaire Williams on the roster just wasting space for the rest of the time. Even if you can't get like a huge return for him, get him off the roster. He's not doing anything for us, right? Not saying that that's, I mean, if he comes out and scores 30 a game, yeah, I'm wrong. And, you know, but that's just an example, right? We just need an assessment of these guys and a hard decision from the front office. I feel like we have a bunch of middling role players that may or may not, depending on our development, end up being something. I think we need to have a see what we have strategy within these first 25 games, play a bunch of people. I mean, still win these games, right? But when you were playing like the Rockets or somebody like that in December, throw David Roddy out there, just see what he can do. If he's, you know, put him in a position to be successful. And if he can't, let's move on, right? That's my argument for a lot of our middling role players. They're good. They're great pieces to have. Are they going to win you a championship? Let's see what the see what we have strategy says and then make a decision from there. Okay, this is how I feel about that royal decree. I'm, I'm all over it. I completely agree. I love that perspective. It, it kind of takes some of the pressure off the Grizzlies in those first 25 games, to be honest. If one of your stated goals during that time is, let's see which of these young guys are actually going to stick. And I think that's a, a huge open question right now. Like, if you ask me to rank Jake LaRavia, Zaire Williams, David Roddy... I just don't even know how I would begin. Like, I, I don't know which of those three guys is most likely to play a big role on a playoff team in the next two to three seasons. That's one of the big questions you got to figure out. I think you also have to figure out, can Luke Kennard play alongside two other guards? Can you have a, a three-guard lineup, including Luke Kennard, Marcus Martin, Desmond Bain? Could that translate eventually to John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Luke Kennard or, yeah. or Marcus Smart? substituted for for uh bane as well like and, there's a lot of things they can figure out can you play santi aldama at the three that would yeah. be another one i'd love to see but yeah, yeah. finish it off i mean, I mean it, it's it's because we have such a three-headed monster in memphis where it's the offense is so focused on desmond bane john morant and jaron jackson jr uh, and you have these guys who kind of fit around that which is a lot, how a lot of nba teams operate but i think what's interesting about adopting this model for baseball is that you know, every every guy on a baseball team has to really contribute one through nine, um, or at least bat, bat their weight, which 
some baseball teams in the Midwest struggle with. Um, but all, all that's to be all, all that's to be said is like you you just want to see what you have, right? Like I, I think you know the front office has to really take a close look at some of these guys and, and like like their Laravias and and yeah, they're young, right? He's like under twenty one, but you know you still need to know what you have and and how to project those people, right? Like the front office's job isn't like our job is to see how these guys are playing right now. Our job is not, I mean, we can try, but we don't get paid to project for players, right? These, the front office needs to have a systematic way to, to project these players based off of their past performance or their performance within this first 25 games. So, and you can clip this, see what you have, play these guys, don't let them rot on the end of the bench and then tell me in the off season that they have the, the, this next jump is coming based off this one Twitter video that I see online. <laughs> I don't want to see that anymore. Play them in real game situations. You have this 25 game set to play with this competition. I think within that 25 games, I'm not sure where we rank in the schedule, but I know we see the Rockets. Pretty in easy. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty easy. I know we see the Rockets in December and I swear to God, if I don't see some of those young players play against the Rockets, I'm going to be angry because <laughs> it's like, who are you playing against? Right. Anyway, all that's to be said yeah. is see what you have. It's time to start assessing our prospects and really get a good determination on them. By the way, yeah. that Midwest baseball team I'm talking about, it's not I it's not any team in Cleveland. I'll leave it at that. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good. Yeah. It's not the team down the road in Chicago either, right down the red line. Because they're they're struggling a bit, but but they're still looking strong to bring playoff baseball to Chi Town. That will be yeah. lots of fun. But yeah, I completely agree with your royal decree. We didn't even mention John Conchar. Uh, we didn't even mention uh, Vince Williams, who we talked up on an earlier podcast. Go back and check that yeah. out. Uh, we didn't mention Gigi Jackson, who's probably not going to be that guy this year. But yeah. you know, at, on a two way contract. Yeah, you could see him a little bit early in the season, but see what you have strategy. That is Karna's world decree. I say stamp it and let's go. But I have one for you as well, Karna, and this one might be a little bit more of a bummer based on what happened with Jaron Jackson Jr. at FIBA. If you weren't following, Jaron Jackson Jr. was the starting center for Team USA for most of the FIBA World Cup. It didn't go great. He caught a lot of the blame for Team USA losing three of its final four games and finishing fourth, although he didn't even play in that last loss. That that will come up later in the episode. But based on that, Karna, my royal decree is the Grizzlies should plan to keep another starting big man on the roster even when the Steven Adams era comes to an end. I don't necessarily think that player has to be in the Steven Adams archetype or the Jonas Valanciunas archetype before that. Yes, we know that those type of players complement Jaron's skill set really, really well because a big with physicality, a big who focuses on rebounding, a big who can be a secondary rim protector really takes the pressure off Jaron and allows him to do what he does best, which is roam on defense and just clean up everything which is to be a combination of a spacer and a guy who can get buckets in the post on offense. Steven is just out there getting the boards. Doesn't, 
make Jaron do any of that. And at the same time, I think you can say that about Brandon Clark as well, and to a lesser extent, Xavier Tillman. What do all those guys have in common? Well, they're all really strong rebounders relative to their size and position. Xavier Tillman is not some elite rebounder in the NBA, but for a like 6'8", not very athletic big man, he gets on the boards. He mixes it up. So with those guys on the roster, Jaron's lack of rebounding, and by the way, he averaged 2.8 rebounds per game in FIBA, is not as much of a problem. But if the Grizzlies get to where some people want them to go, which is Jaron as the starting center, and maybe you have like some kind of stretch four, perhaps that's Santi Aldama or a player like him, and you're playing this wide open modern form of basketball without a traditional big man on the floor, I think you're asking for the same trouble that Team USA found itself in. And that is not enough size, taking Jaron out of his strengths and making his weaknesses show up far, far, far too much. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a top 30 player in the NBA. He did not look like that at FIBA, and that's because of roster construction. The Grizzlies now have that on tape. They got to make sure they don't fall into the same trap. The the two words that kind of came to me after watching Jaron's more highlights because I couldn't wake up and start early. <laughs> yeah, um, was there's a lack of team rebounding, and I feel like the Grizzlies yeah. have gotten better at it. Um, just because they know that weakness, they're familiar with that weakness for Jaron Jackson Jr. So rebounding is rebounding by committee. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess I half stamp your to, to get back to your old degree. I guess I half stamp it, right? I, I think there are some some really really good parts about this. I think we do need a secondary big. Uh, generally, I worry about spacing, which was a concern that you kind of preempted, right? Like it, we already struggle to get John ja Morant kind of the spacing he needs to be his most effective self or most effective player. So. I think some of those concerns can be exacerbated with someone like Steven Adams on the floor or, or someone in that mold. Um, and we kind of saw that in the playoffs with Xavier Tillman. All that's to say is, yeah, Jaron can't be the guy that's going to get you like 15 rebounds a game. Um, he can get 10 and he can be pretty effective if, you know, there is that team aspect of rebounding around him. Um, all that's to say is is, yeah, we do need someone like that. But there needs to be a back solve to the spacing issue, right? Like whether it's sharing minutes or whether it's someone who can shoot at like even a mid-range shot. Um, and maybe that person is in the NBA right now or not. Um, that that kind of just needs to be a concern in the back of everyone's mind, whether it's Taylor Jenkins or the front office. But yeah, I agree with you. He, he, he's proven that he it's just not his role. Um, it's just not something he's good at and yeah, he can improve at it, but rebounding, I feel like is a hard skill to just like focus on in the off season. Anyway, let him do what he needs to do. Let him come behind and throw someone shot into the fourth seat or fourth row at FedEx forum. Like, don't worry about grabbing like a, a, a rebound to get from 10 rebounds to 11 rebounds. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. I mean, he yeah. can put anybody's shot. And I just saw, it was his birthday recently, happy birthday, Jaron. A great thread of him show. blocking different NBA All-Stars. And yeah. there's not many people who have escaped him. 
Yeah. A lot of these blocks are in high leverage moments. There was one late in game four against the Warriors in last year's playoff series. He was one-on-one with Steph. Sent that back. Actually blocked him so hard that Steph caught the ball on his way down and went out of bounds. Grizzlies ball. There's another one uh, earlier in this season against Cleveland. Darius Garland gets the switch he wanted. Gets switched on to Jaron one-on-one. Drives. Jaron sends it into the third row. I mean, he is just an incredibly versatile defender. But that brings me to another reason why you don't want him to be the only true big man out there. And that is defensively, if he is guarding the other team's best big man, he might do okay in that role, but he's probably below average in guarding other centers. And that takes him out of what he is the best in the world at. And that is being a weak side blocking threat to be the the help defender. He, as yeah. long as he, yeah. As he's long as he's the four, you yeah. put him on uh, the other team's weakest shooter in most cases and let him do his thing. Let him run. Yeah. And he's altering every shot. I think, you know, those highlights are great. And I think for people who like watching that, I mean, it's great. And it's great highlights. What I don't think it completely captures, and I don't know if any stat really captures this overall, is that at certain times in the game when he's on the floor, he almost takes away the whole paint from other yes. guards. And That's I think so that, that effect in itself earned him deep away. But more than that, it like accentuates his value to the team, right? And it, you take away some of that really, really high leverage, high value skill for rebounding, then you're you're like it's like would you rather have a, a player who's mid at two things or like really, really good at one thing and needs help with another thing, right? Yeah. Like, I, will he become a mid de- defensive player if he starts rebounding? No, probably not. He'll still be elite, but he won't be as game altering as he is right now. I firmly believe that, and I think you brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. The good news is the Grizzlies still have Steven Adams. Yeah. And hopefully at the end of next season, heading into uh, all the seasons after that, they'll have Brandon Clark. Yeah. Who we've seen with all the lineup data is a perfect complement to Jaron Jackson Jr. Even though he's a smaller guy, Mm. Brandon's rebounding ability is through the roof. What do you you think Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark rank in NBA rap duos? Uh, the only other NBA rapper I know about is Dame. Please fill me in on others. Um, Dude. Number okay. one is Shaq. Number two is Dame Dalla. Number three and four is Jared Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark. Hey, they're it's... in the top four. Yeah. Okay. For them. And I'm glad that Brandon has something to do while he recovers from his injuries. That, All right. That's yeah, be good. take the political stance. I like that. Okay. Yeah. No, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. No, I mean, I can never make music, so who am I to say anything? I mean, Brandon Clark is currently making twelve point five mil a year. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is making twenty seven yeah. mil a year. Whatever they're doing with their free time, cover, yeah, I guess it doesn't cover it. rap lessons, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Jaron Jackson Jr. Y'all can make fun of me for being poor or whatever. (laughs) Brandon Clark, come on this show. Yeah. Tell Karna he's stupid for not liking your music. Please. I'd have a Nissan Rogue if you want to focus on that. (laughs) Terrible car. (laughs) That is a terrible car. But uh, we're kind of getting into the second segment anyway. So let's just bring it to the news of the realm. And again, if you're just joining us, this is the segment of the show where we get into whatever the biggest breaking news in the Grizzlies universe is at that moment. And for that, we need the trumpets. 
So, Karna, the biggest news is what we've already begun to touch on. That is Jaron Jackson Jr.'s performance at FIBA. I'm just going to read you some stats, and I want you to let me know what concerns you, if anything, as it relates to the Grizzlies. Because ultimately, we want Jaron to be on Team USA next summer. He should be. We want Desmond Bain and John Morant to be on Team USA next summer in Paris as well. But this is a Grizzlies podcast, and mostly we care about how this relates to the Grizzlies season and their roster building plans for the future. So here was Jaron Jackson Jr. at FIBA. He averaged 16.5 minutes per game. That was eighth on the team, scoring 8.1 points on 62% shooting, just 28% from three. Honestly, Team USA didn't shoot that well from three for a lot of the tournament. So that may have had as much to do with the the situation as it had to do with uh, Jaron. I guess Team USA shot 40% for the whole tournament. So they, they brought that number up, but Jaron wasn't shooting that many threes anyway. Um, but then, as we mentioned before, 2.8 rebounds per game. That was eighth on the team. Okay. And 2.7 fouls per game. First on the team for Team USA, the, the most. And Jonas Valanciunas held Jaron to three points and one rebound in Team USA's first loss to Lithuania. Should mention Jaron had the highest plus minus on the team in that game. So he was obviously doing some things right, but he did get shut down offensively. And then had eight points and three rebounds in a two-point loss to Germany that sent Team USA to the third place game. He only played 19 minutes in that game despite just one foul indicating that Steve Kerr had kind of given up on him and went another direction with mostly Paolo Bancaro at the five. Then Jaron sat out with illness versus Canada. Dylan Brooks goes off for 39 points. He sends LeBron into such a frenzy that LeBron wakes up in a cold sweat, calls every other great American player he knows and says, we are coming to Paris next summer and never letting Dylan Brooks do that again. So at least that was fun for Grizzlies fans. Uh, but by the way, in that game that Jaron missed, Team USA gave up an incredible 127 points in a 40-minute game plus overtime. So the defense was obviously not all his fault. But Carno, that's a lot of numbers. What, if anything, about Jaron's performance at FIBA concerns you? I, 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 I swear to God, I saw people on Twitter being like, "Is this the end of Jaron Jackson Jr.?" <laughs> I was I was absolutely livid. Uh, it means nothing. It, it means absolutely nothing. Because, and I'll tell you why. In a team sport, if you put four other pieces around Jaron Jackson Jr., it is going to materially change how he has to cha- play the game versus the people he's been playing with for almost three years now and has made playoff runs with. Let that, so that's one piece, right? That's one piece, right? You change the whole team around him and then expect him to play exactly the same way and be as effective. Completely crazy notion to me, right? If you walked into any other job and said, hey, there's a totally new team and you have to be just as effective as you were, no one in the universe could do that. So why is Jaron Jackson Jr. held to a different standard? So that's my first thing. The second thing is the style of basketball changes when you're on the world stage, right? Germany plays a totally different style of basketball than the LA Lakers do. And the, the, the style of basketball that's played in the NBA is markedly different 
than the the style played in Europe and in other countries. So that that's the two things, right? And I'll give you an example of the second thing, right? I think it's Willie Cauley Stein who just ma- recently made his trip to Europe, and he was like, and and so did uh, Jabari Parker, I think. Or, I think that's I forget it's a Duke, the guy who played a Duke for years and then went to the Bucks right after. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jabari Parker. Yeah. They both are like, oh, it's so different playing over here. And then they made some comment about how players are more skilled or something over there. Or the, <laughs> the style was like better for them. No, it made no sense, right? So it's like, of, of course, this means nothing for Jaron Jackson Jr. going into the future. He only played a handful of minutes. Steve Kerr is not his coach. These are not the players he usually plays with. Basketball, we found, is a much more chemistry-heavy sport. It's not like the WBC in baseball when you have a, a guy that sees a 98-mile-an-hour fastball and should be able to hit it. This is totally different. It's a free-flowing game that relies on chemistry. John Morant can hit Jaron Jackson Jr. for an alley-oop without almost looking. There's no one on this USA basketball team that can do the same thing, that can find Jaron Jackson Jr. in his more, most comfortable position, like Jaw or Marcus Smart will be able to, or Desmond Bain is able to. So nothing to worry about. Did he have a great FIBA World Cup? No. It was more of a thing where if he makes the progression, great. That's awesome to see, and I'm excited for the season. If he had a bad FIBA World Cup, it's really no concern. I don't I don't feel any concern. It's just he needs to go back to the drawing board, work on a couple of smaller things, and then he'll come back and be effective because he's in an environment that's comfortable for him in a game that he understands better. It was his first international tournament, too. So, like, let's all pump the brakes a little bit. This isn't the end of Jaron Jackson Jr. He'll be just fine. To those people saying that Jaron Jackson Jr.'s DPOY was a fraud or that he is a grossly overrated player, we got to take those those takes out to the trash. Put him in the trash. Forget about him. Because, Carna, you're exactly right that the context matters here. And he was not playing with the team he's used to. But more important than that, he was not playing the role that has made him so successful in Memphis. I will push back or at least take a different take on on one aspect of it, though. I do think it should, as I said in my royal decree, change the Grizzlies' plans a little bit. If they were thinking that Jaron is our future five, that once the Steven Adams era comes to an end, uh, whether that be at the end of his contract, the end of, uh, of, I believe this season, or maybe you re-sign him for another one-year deal, something like that. Two or two to three years down the line, if they were thinking Jaron should be the starting five, I don't think that's a given. In fact, as I said in my rule decree, you need to have plans to have another starting level big man on the floor with him. Because not only is Jaron maybe not very good at that role of starting center. But even if he becomes okay at that, you're still taking away his greatest strength. You're taking away his ability to be that roaming shot blocker, the ability to be that combo of a spacer and a low post scorer that is really only brought out if you're playing him at the four. And I get that argument. My my argument or push is like, that that's fine. But let's not use the FIBA World Cup as the only data point to make that decision, right? Like, there's so many other, and I, I'm going to sound so businessy right here, and I really hate to sound like a data science nerd, but there's a bunch of confounding variables that affect how 
Jaron Jackson Jr. is playing in that FIP, in that World Cup setting that may not exist in the NBA, right? The NBA is more fluid; it's much more; it's quickly changing. So, I mean, if we see, if we go through this, see what they have strategy, and then you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. isn't pulling his weight and and or isn't you know morphing into that five, and we need that next next big man to kind of replace Stephen Adams as the years go by. Sure, let's use that twenty five game set. Let's use the FIBA uh, World Cup and create a cohesive picture. Let's just not make the decision off this really recent, really disjointed kind of experience that um, that Jaron Jackson Jr. has in the Philippines, right? Like, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, totally. Um, and by the way, Stephen Adams will be a free agent after the 2025 season. So uh, yeah. in the 2025 offseason, that is when the Grizzlies will be forced to make a decision about their starting five, Hopefully, Steven is going to be back on the floor and healthy because as we're going to bring up in a future segment of the episode, a future segment on this episode, Steven Adams is being undervalued right now. People are forgetting just how good he is and just how important he is to the Grizzlies. I'm going to yell but, in that segment. It's just a real quick head, headphones warning to you, King, and also our listeners because I'm about to get real, real mad up in here. Real mad. I'm fired up too, so so I am all for it. But that's a good that's a good warning to those who uh, already have us cranked up real loud. Because I mean, these royal hoops takes they need to be hitting your ears at hundreds of decibels to <laughs> properly take root. Okay, that's the best way to listen. But one more piece of news here in the news of the realm segment here on Hoops Royalty, um, Jaw and Shot by Nye which is his like personal uh, social media videographer person. By the way, does really good work. But John Shot by Nye are back at it, producing off-season workout videos and updates on Jaw's life. Looks like he's been traveling internationally, internationally while also putting in work in the gym. One thing a lot of people noticed looking on social media was that his legs are looking much bigger. Hopefully that makes him more durable without losing any explosiveness. I think that would be a good thing for him to uh, kind of decrease these minor knee and ankle injuries that have been holding him out of a few games here and there. Obviously, he's working on his jump shot. uh, But more importantly, all these videos have these very high-minded themes like rebirth. And he's wearing shirts with gratitude and accountability. And his dad is talking to youth campers about how his son made his own poor choices. It wasn't about who he was hanging out with, and, and Jaw has to take accountability for that. Karna, does this new John Morant content train mean anything? Is he going to come back a, a different person and a different player? I, I, I won't comment on the other part of it, where it's like, I, I don't know if he'll come back as a different person or a different player, right? I think we kind of said that after the first time he flashed the gun on Instagram. And I'd like to believe that he could change. And and I am glad this like vernacular and these words are being like thrown around, whether it's for show or not, hopefully if it's for show, it'll translate, you know, hopefully it'll translate into some real action for jaw. Um, and if it's real, then, you know, it will definitely, you know, translate into real action for jaw. Here's why I'm not sold. He needs to prove it over the course of a season. I think Looking back on it, a lot of Jaws behavior is a kid who is has the weight of the world on his shoulders in a lot of ways. 
is asked to be the face of a franchise and an emerging face of the league. I want to see him. It's really easy to make videos in the off season when you're not, you know, in hostile environments night after night, when people aren't heckling you from the sideline, when you're able to spend kind of unlimited amounts of time with your family. It's kind of easier to make those videos and say these things without the pressure and expectations of a season. How is he going to react when he goes to LA, right? And he's getting yelled at from the sideline. How is he going to react, you know, when he goes to Philadelphia and he has to face a hostile environment and they're saying all kinds of things for him? How is he going to react in the garden, right? I think stemming, his behavior stemming from the pressure of the season is what I want to see. Is he going to be a leader, kind of face the adversity and tackle it and and really live up to some of the things that are on the shirt and, and the themes that are in his video? Or is he kind of kind of revert back to how he's been acting these this last season? I, I so I think I'm in a wait and see mode. I'm not sold by a video. Um, you know how I hate videos now. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a Dylan Brooks in the lab video today and I was I really upset. I was really upset by it. But all that's to say is like, no, I'm not sold yet. I want to see how he acts during the season. I want to see what reporters have to say about the locker room chemistry in the season. That will that is what will sell me. Yeah, obviously these videos don't mean anything of substance for the season, except I am glad that there seems to be a posture of accountability. Yeah. And at the very least, a, a t- an attempt to say, I'm sorry, to say, yeah. I know I messed up, to say that I know I need to make changes in a way that we kind of saw a little bit like with the Jalen Rose video after the first gun incident. Um, but I think it seems to be taking on a deeper tenor based on these videos, um, based on the very few comments that Ja has made. Yeah. So I'm very hopeful, as I've said multiple times, that this is going to be a true moment of growth and change for Ja. These videos are an indication that he sees it that way too. We won't really know until the season actually begins and, and that pressure cooker, as you said, gets ramped up but Karna, i think that's it for the news of the realm this is still a slow part of the off season again still over yep. a month till the season uh just a few weeks away from preseason basketball but that will be more about who is who are the grizzlies going to keep on the roster more so than uh, what yep. the the big guys are going to look like but now let's get to our last segment this is the king's court where we are here discussing a hot topic in the Grizzlies universe and having what I hope will be a heated debate. So to enter the King's court, we need to hear that beautiful basketball. Full disclosure, I'm still kind of figuring out whether the King's court is, is a courtroom or is it a basketball court? I think it's actually both. And that's what makes it a beautiful place. Debates, heated ones at that happen in both places feel free to have a big debate here because i think one thing is it has us both fired up do you want to start there maybe yeah so this segment of the king's court is about memphis grizzlies in the top 100 players as listed by cbs sports cbs this week put out a list of the top 100 players pretty common nba off-season content and they had Four Grizzlies players in the top 100. That would be Ja at number 14, down from 12 the year prior. Jaron at 28, down from 46 the year before. 
Uh, Bain oh. at 42. I'm sorry. So, yeah. Sorry. So, Jaron was at uh, 28. He was up from 46. He moved up 18 spots. So, a very mm-hmm. big jump. A very big jump for Desmond Bain as well. He was ranked number 42. That was up from 56 the year prior. Uh, Marcus Smart was at 56. He was at 45 last year, so a little move down, but still considered a top 60 player in the sport. But then from there, I kept scrolling. I kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I knew I I was going to see the name, right? I was going to see our beautiful Aquaman on the list somewhere. Stefan Adams. But no. No. (laughs) No Stephen Adams. No Steve-O, no Aquaman. I checked for all the different iterations. Didn't see a single <laughs> one of them. F, the control F'd every single one of them. Command f multiple times. I think I stared at it for a solid hour. And yet his name never appeared, which I think pretty much means CBS Sports has to quit their NBA page or hire both of us to run it because they have no credibility left. Let me hear your thoughts on this top 100. Start wherever you like. I'm going to let you go first because I think you're going to have a shorter thing. Because I my take is like, I'm going to get emotional a little, I think. Okay. So, you know we're talking about Steven first. Yeah. Steven is a top 100 player, period. He is the best rebounder in the sport. The Grizzlies were the number one rebounding team in the NBA until his injury last season. After his injury, they were number 22. The team that Steven Adams has been a part of has been the best offensive rebounding team for like the past five seasons, even as he's changed teams. And if we look at what happened with Jaron Jackson at FIBA, and we see that when he was the primary center, the Team USA rebounding and defense really struggled. I think that goes to show even more so Steven's value that he's willing to play that unsung hero role, crash the glass, pick up offensive rebounds. Yes, I think that's what he's known for, but also just make it absolutely brutal for opposing big men. It is a it is a tough challenge to play Steven Adams, one that you will feel the next day and many days after that. For that reason and many others, he's a top 100 player. If you look at some of the other people in that that bottom 10 range, which, by the way, I think he should probably be even higher than that, but Grant Williams? Come on. Hold on. I would take Steven Adams in a heartbeat over don't, Grant don't, Williams. Don't, don't, don't step on my line because I'm about to – all right, go for it. Why should Steven Adams be in the top 100? Well, you, all the reasons you listed, right? So are we just not valuing rebounds? Because I'm going to yeah. read you the description for Robert. What, uh, I'm going to read you a line from a description for Robert Williams, um, who is a good player, but he's one of the league's premier shot blockers. Face fair, a force on the offensive glass. So we do care about rebounds now. It's so selective to not include Stephen Adams. And I get he's coming off injury, so I get that. But then I I keep looking at the bottom ten because I'm like, okay, so let's like comp him to. So my thought process was Steven Adams is in the top 100. Okay. Who is in the bottom of this top 100? Scoot Henderson is in the bottom of this top 100. Can you tell me how many NBA points Scoot Henderson has scored during the regular season, King? Um, I believe it rhymes with Miro or Nero. Zero. It was zero. He had no stats. 
And we are saying that he's a better player than an elite rebounder. An elite rebounder. And a pretty good... He is an elite rebounder. And this, so this is my whole thing about, and maybe I'm overstepping a little bit, but NBA media, right? I love the fact that we have an offensive first league. It's great. But as soon as you start devaluing guys who rebound, who play defense, who do all the things that they need to be doing on the, on the basketball floor, the nitty gritty stuff, you are going to have less and less of that. And then you are going to have an, a professional AAU league. And I don't think people understand how systemic some of this stuff is, right? Like we either value rebounding and defense or we don't value it at all. And I know this is coming from the guy who devalued Tony Allen just an episode ago. So maybe a little inconsistent, but this guy should be easily, easily by a country mile in the top 100, right? Coming off injury or not. He's been an elite rebounder for years since he started in OKC. I mean, what are we doing here, right? Like, we either value rebounding in defense or we don't. Don't halfway do it and then not include an elite rebounder in the top 100. It makes no sense, especially over, especially you're not valuing a guy who hasn't even played a minute in the NBA. Like, I get it. Scoot Henderson's a top five pick. The guy hasn't played a single minute. He could be the biggest bust of all time. Or he could be the next Michael Jordan. We don't know. So let's not value him in the, within the top 100. I hate that. I hate that. I'm sorry. I, was, I, got, I got a little angry, but I hate that. I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. Well, let's just look at another center who is ranked fairly highly on this list. And that would be DeAndre Ayton at number 76. And got to give credit to the wonderful and honestly doing God's work Twitter account, Stephen Adams Stats that is out there proclaiming to the world why Steven Adams is so important, even if he is not necessarily a statistical monster and not necessarily a player who would ever make an all-star game. So thank you, Steven Adams stats. Please keep it up. Um, but one of the things that that account has brought up multiple times is the comparison between Steven Adams and DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton is number 76 on this list. And yes, DeAndre Ayton scores. Um, Last season, he averaged 18 points per game. Wonderful. He averaged 10 rebounds a game. Okay. For a starting center, that's that's okay. But look at the advanced stats. Look at the impact DeAndre Ayton has on the floor versus what Steven Adams has. Look at the role that they're asked to play by both teams and how well they fill it. Phoenix expects DeAndre Ayton to be a major scoring option. And he was so bad at it that they've had to go for help multiple times in the past two seasons. First to Kevin Durant, then to Bradley Beal. Memphis could unleash Steven Adams as a scorer. By the way, he can get buckets in the pick and roll. He can get buckets posting people up, but that's not the role that he is asked to play. And he's okay with that because he's such a team-oriented guy. Instead, he is the person crashing the glass. He is the hardest worker on the court. He is the guy who makes the opposing center's life hell on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, he's the guy who opens up massive lanes for John Morant yeah. and the rest of the Grizzlies' backcourt to drive right through. So Steven Adams is an absolutely integral part of one of the best teams in the NBA, and he deserves to be in the top 100. He also um, games in the NBA, which I, yes, I would, would that think also to be a should, to this. should matter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm crazy. Well, 
I'm quirky like that. I like to see my players play before I call them. Dude, that's such a hot take, honestly. You need to cool off right now. (laughs) That Cleveland night is getting to you. Uh, Anything else stand out to you about the list? Again, Jaws at 14, Jaron at 28, Bain at 42, Smart at 56. Not not especially. I mean, let's just talk through Bain, I think. I think you think he's a little too low. Mm -hmm. I I do. I, I think if you value him near where... So, before I get into this, ranking, this sort of ranking is always dumb. Oh, when the NFL always. does it, NBA does it, it's dumb, right? It's because, so hard to do, too. Yeah. it's You're comparing vastly different positions, and you're comparing teams that work differently. It's like comparing a motorcycle to a car to a ship. Yeah, they all have engines, right? Yeah, all these teams play basketball, but they all work materially different to each other and, and work in different ways and all have different parts, right? Like, that, that's kind of my point here. Um, that being said, I think Desmond Bain is, I, could he be ranked higher? Yeah. Do I think he's a top 25 player? No. No, That's not, yet. not yet. Not yet. L- let me say just a couple people I would rank Desmond Bain above, and you can tell me whether you agree. Darius Garland that, is going to be the one that's interesting to me. I actually am fine with Garland being ahead of him, but mm-hmm. Bradley Beal, I would take Desmond Bain over Bradley Beal. Desmond Bain is a more efficient shooter. Yes, he can't create for himself in the same way, but he's already a better defender. And Mm. if the growth we saw from Bain as a playmaker last season translates, he is going to be a better player than Bradley Beal this season. How do you feel about ranking him over Laurie Markkinen, who's one up from him? That's hard to say because Markkinen was like the number one option on his team. So I'm actually comfortable with that. With, with where he's ranked right now. Yeah. And this Lamello, is kind of the... We haven't seen him in forever. I mean, yeah, that would was the Hornets too... trade LaMelo for Bain right now? Probably not. But neither would the Grizzlies because Bain's skill set as a complementary player is at this point a lot more valuable than what LaMelo is as a primary creator. Maybe yeah. as LaMelo returns from injury, he'll make that look stupid. I also think that if you ask the Mavericks honestly whether they'd rather have Desmond Bain or Kyrie Irving, oh Desmond would, Bain, are you kidding? It would at least be a long discussion. Dude, I I don't think it would. I think I don't think Kyrie and this is what I'm talking about though. Like Kyrie and Luca don't fit as well as like is would I if we were playing one on one on the blacktop, I'd take Kyrie Irving every single time. I yep. think Kyrie Irving's a generational talent. Do I think Desmond Bain would might fit in better than Kyrie Irving in in Dallas? Maybe, yeah, um, yeah. So that's kind of my thought process behind the rankings. But yeah, I, I think Bain is probably where he should be. I think he'll make a big jump this season, depending on how uh, yeah. he recovers from that toe surgery. Or was it toe surgery, right? Not it was toe surgery, yeah. Toe surgery. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's I think he's fine. I, this is my hot take for, for the list in general. I think Jaron Jackson Jr., and I've been saying this since we kind of did our offseason wrap, um, I, I, I think – this year is when he transitions from like the 25 to 35 to the 15 to 20. Wow. So like borderline all NBA borderline all NBA, which by the way would earn him a lot of money. If he gets another defensive player of the year award or all NBA this season. Yeah. 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 He's about to be a very rich man. So, which would be great. 
Yeah, I, um, if he if he earns another deploy or like another all and or like a all NBA, something very good has happened in the Grizzly season, such that we are probably top four in the West. Yeah, right? like if he plays to that capability, then and all things else being equal from last season, I think we're talking like a top four Western Conference team set to do some big things in the playoffs. Yeah, and it is kind of crazy that the consensus best defensive player in the sport last season, at least last regular season, is number 28 in the list. I actually think where he's ranked is okay, but still, is that how lowly we value defense that the defensive player of the year, who also happens to be a very good offensive player, is number 28? I mean, I think that just goes to show a lot about what we value as NBA fans, NBA media, um, and Jaron is going to have something to say this season for all those people who are calling his Defensive Player of the Year award a charity case because he was by far the best defender in the sport last season. And just because he didn't have a great playoff series against Anthony Davis when Jaron's own starting center was out, no Steven Adams, by the way, we just told you why that matters. And just because he had another... A rough stretch in FIBA again where he's playing out of his position that's making people forget just how incredible he was last season and how much potential he has to grow into more yep couldn't agree more jaw at 14 is very fair given the season he just had however his upside is even higher than that I mean when he's upside top ranked, five yeah his upside's top five okay. and is he there no Honestly, I thought that was a pretty generous ranking. I mean, he's ahead of Kawhi Leonard, Donovan Mitchell, Paul George, Jamal Murray, De'Aaron Fox. Like, uh, CBS Sports clearly still values Ja, but um, his upside is to be one of the very best players in the entire sport. We hope that with these accountability t-shirts, he's going to come back and be ready to be that dude. But, Karna, any last thoughts for this offseason edition of Hoops Royalty? No, keep on the lookout. We'll be we'll be around. I think and this is separate from what I just said, but I think the Grizzlies are poised to have a really really good season, or a season where there are some hard questions that the front office has to answer. I think we are at an inflection point for the this franchise, and pl- that's why you should be following along. Yeah, because. You know, we have. Some, I think we have some pretty good takes, and this is an inflection point in the season. And really, could and this is going to sound dramatic, but it's true. You know, with the with the level of talent that's on this roster, if they don't have the season that they do, they can change the landscape of the NBA, um, depending on where these Brilliant. guys end up. So, just follow along. We'll be following along. I bought my NBA league pass today. I'm not missing a game. I'm sure King won't. So maybe, maybe well, I'll, I'll maybe miss a couple, but um, I'm definitely going to be around, um, and I, I know King will be as well. So so definitely follow along. We're at a very interesting point. I feel like we got in at the perfect time, and I'm excited to cover the team. We may physically be in the Midwest, but in our hearts, we're in the M, and we'll always, always be in the M. Maybe tatted. <laughs> And this is going to be such a fascinating season, starting with Jaws suspension, but continuing into 
the first year of real pressure and expectations for the Grizzlies, maybe ever, but certainly yeah. in this iteration. So uh, that's going to do it for us at Hoops Royalty. Please follow us on all the social medias. We're there, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, on YouTube. Please like and subscribe. We also have some shorts coming out if, if you're into that. And uh, we're going to get our TikTok page up and rolling more so. If wherever you listen to this as a podcast, uh, please follow the show, subscribe to the show. And five-star reviews with nice comments go so far into helping us create these Royal Hoops takes. So it would be greatly appreciated if you could go out and do that. But one last bit. Oh, yeah, go for it. Oh, one last thing. Y'all go like this man's Taylor Swift uh, TikTok <laughs> reel or YouTube short. This man, first of all, a love letter to his wife. Second of all, well put together. Third, have you seen a man with this much Grizzlies knowledge before and this much Taylor Swift knowledge? Are you kidding I, me? I may be one of a kind in that regard. Go I mean, like that man. Dude, go like that man's work, please. <laughs> it's on TikTok. It's on YouTube or excuse me, on Instagram reels. It's on YouTube too. I put it everywhere because I spent way too much time comparing NBA teams to Taylor Swift albums. It would mean a lot if you go out and watch it, go like it, comment. Like it. Even if you care nothing about Taylor, which by the way, if you think you're like cool doing that, you're wrong. You got to give, actually listen to the music and see if it's good because I'm pretty sure you'll be convinced. I, you know what? One of our mutual friends paid me to listen to Evermore <laughs> and um, what's the other one? Folklore? Yep. I, I was a hater at first. I'm surprised. The range is crazy. The range it's is kind of crazy. crazy that she has. I, this I, is I was why a, she's I, generational. Yeah. I was number one hater too, for real. But actually listening to some of the music, it's not terrible. I mean, do I put it on, like, on my own? Yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, yeah, she's good. And King is even better. So go like that thing. Well, thank you, Karna. I appreciate you. And, again, that's it for us at Hoops Royalty. We'll be back with more Royal Hoops takes for the Grizzlies and all things NBA. Like, subscribe, check us out on social media. We're so glad you're listening, and we will see you next week.